What's up, everybody? This is Rafael Garcia, and I am redoing the 48th episode of the MMA Ratings podcast. There were some technical difficulties from last night's attempted late night uh, taping. So just wanted to get back on the horn and talk to you guys about the MMA action that we have going on this weekend, starting tonight, actually. So don't forget that there's some Friday night UFC fights going on, along with looking at some of those fights and some of the news from this week. And first and foremost, as always, and thank you guys for your support. You can catch us at MMARatings.net, where myself, Adam Martin, Sean Humes, and Michael Ford bring you not only interesting pieces about the sports uh, world, especially mixed martial arts, but you can definitely dive in and rate the fights and let us know what you think about the action yourself. Um, it's probably one of the only places in the world where you can tell us, great via a star system, how well you thought every fight went down. So after every fight this weekend, feel free to hop over to MMARatings.net and let us know what you think. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter under the same name. And you can catch us on SoundCloud and other podcast streaming uh, outlets around the interweb. So, as always, thank you for taking your time to listen to the show. You can like and share our content. Uh, as always, like it on YouTube here. Share it across the social media channels. And thanks again for giving us some of your time throughout the busy week. So, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the conversation for this week because we got quite a bit to talk about. Um, I want to start with discussion of just some news items from this past week. There wasn't a whole, whole lot of news that went down this week, but at the same time, there were some interesting quotables, I, sh I should say, from a few different people. Um, I want to start with Alistair Overeem. We all know Overeem, who's, you know, one of the most, I want to say most well-known, one of the better-known heavyweights to ever um, compete in the sport. He's a multiple-time champion. He's challenged for the UFC title, but even though he's never been able to win that. And he set the fight for Bricky of Wardoom this week. Is it this weekend? He's fighting Wardoom, or is it next? Um, yeah, he's fighting this weekend at um, 213. That fight's kind of going under the radar, but that is their third fight. You know, they're one and one against each other, but uh, Overeem had some pretty interesting words for another prominent heavyweight who's not actually not even in the UFC today. He was speaking about Fedor, and for those who don't know, Fedor dropped um, about to Matt Mitrione last week at Bellator 180, the last week, or um, the week before, but he dropped the fight to, to Matt Mitrione. He had an, they both had a double knockdown, and then Mitrione basically recovered faster, got on top, and finished the fight. That was Fedor's first loss in his last five. I think he was on a five-fight winning streak, but that was stopped. And it was yet another knockout for the man who was considered the greatest heavyweight of all time and who had almost a 10-year defeated streak. But Overeem had some pretty interesting comments to say not only about that streak, but about where Overeem is, excuse me, where Fedor is in his career, and also kind of hints at how much left he has in the sport. So I'm going to read his quotes and then kind of comment off of that. First thing he said about Fedor is that he's not the greatest heavyweight because he declined to fight me on two occasions while I was Strike Force heavyweight champion. This is Overeem speaking. And basically what he's saying is that He'll, he'll, he'll go later on to say that he had the opportunity to fight Fedor, which was probably the biggest heavyweight fight at that time in 2009 and 2010, and he claims that Fedor declined those fights both times. And he goes on to say that the people that Fedor beat during his run, he called them cans, um, and in his exact quote was like, I think Fedor had a great run in 2002 to 2005, and after that, People talk about 10 years undefeated and blah, blah, blah. But after 2005, who did he fight? He fought Cairns. He declined to fight me on two occasions in 2009 and 2010. So that's some pretty some pretty harsh words there because, as I mentioned, you know, this was one of the big fights that could have occurred back then. It was this fight. Um, earlier than that, it was the idea of getting Randy Couture to fight Fedor. That never happened. 
And then there was the potential fight to get Brock Lesnar to fight Fedor as well. That never happened either. So those are three. That though, looking back now, those fights could have been massive. Um, and to think that we just completely missed out on them, I guarantee we'll never really know the true story why we missed out on those fights. But those could have been three huge, huge, huge fights for it most likely would have occurred in the UFC. This one would have occurred in Strike Force, uh, Fedor versus Overeem. But it was just complete misses. And every sport has those, especially like, you know, boxing has those as well, where great fighters never got into the ring together or they never they got into the ring like one time and never kind of solved things like Lennox Lewis and uh, Klitschko. So you see that. You see those situations. But this one right here is... Um, Interesting, I think part of it plays into the management system that Fedor at the time had around him, where he was very protective of his brand, very protective of what he did when he fought, who he fought, um, and in what organization he fought and who promoted it. There was a lot of questions always surrounding that, but three very, really, really big opportunities that we just missed out on because for whatever reason. And Overeem also goes on to speak about. Fedor's legacy and he basically hinted at the fact that Fedor has taken so many losses recently that it's really began to it's began to crush what legacy he did build and you know I'm with him on that because what you see is that people always will have a revisionist memory about things you know Fedor has lost he went from 2001 all the way up to 2009 without losing any fights. He had won no contests um, against Antonio Noguera back in Pride at, in 2004. But other than that, man, he was defeating everybody. And, I mean, he beat some guys during that run. It wasn't that he was um, fighting cans as uh, – Overeem put it, you know, he defeated Heath Herring, Noguera, he did Gary Goodrich, Eugene Nagata, Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, um, and he beat Noguera twice. Faced him three times, but beat him twice. Um, he beat Mark Hunt, Matt Lindland. I mean, he fought some guys, Tim Sylvia, Andre Arlowski, Brett, uh, and Brett Rogers. Brett Rogers wasn't that big of a name. But after losing to Verdun in 2010 by that triangle, that loss itself, people kind of thought of as like a fluke of sorts. Then the wheels fell off. The next year, he's getting knocked out by Antonio Silva. I mean, he's getting battered by Silva, like just hammered. A few months later, he's fighting Dan Henderson, getting put out on in a, in a blaze of glory. Those two guys went balls to the wall, and Dan Henderson came out on top there. Then he kind of went away for a, a little while, and then he showed up in M1 fighting Jeff Monson. He fought uh, Satoshi Ishii in Dream. He fought, then he fought Pedro, uh, Pedro Hizo, Jadip Singh. He, and then it was the fight against Fabio Maldonado uh, where he just did not look good. He got a decision victory that a lot of people questioned just because it, it just seemed they brought Fabio in thinking that he would get his, the doors blown off of him, but he didn't, and it was a very questionable decision. And then he fights Mitrion a year later and gets stretched. So I am not going to totally disagree with Overeem's comments that Fedor is now hurting his legacy because it does seem pretty damning, and it does seem pretty interesting that Fedor is still fighting and I don't even know if he needs to. It's one of those things where maybe maybe he needs – I don't know. I doubt he needs to from a financial situation, but he's doing so, and you have to wonder why. Now, I want to compare it to conversations that were going on about um, B.J. Penn as well. B.J. Penn's an, another guy. He lost to Dennis Seaver. Didn't look good at all. Um, when he lost to Seaver last Sunday, and people are kind of are like ask, also asking there, 
why is he still doing this to himself? Why is he still stepping out there? Like this isn't him getting the doors blown off of him from like a Yair Rodriguez or or a Frankie Edgar blowing through him. This is more of BJ just getting beat back, just getting outgunned. Um, just getting. This is more just about BJ getting outgunned, and he just didn't look good in that fight against Seaver. It's the same thing with Fedor. You know, he just just did not look good at any points in any of these losses over the last five years. So you just have to wonder, like, what is going on that he's still stepping into the cage? And should the promotions around him just stop? Like, should they just stop bringing him in, just stop trying to put him in that position where he is, um, lack of a bit of term, going to get himself hurt? And Overeem kind of spoke about this as well with his quotes where he said, let's see, let me pull his exact quote. When you're looking good in your performances, then you don't need to have that talk. But when you're looking bad in your performances, then I think you sh you need you, you need to have that talk. Overeem said, "When you're racking up consecutive losses, then you should start having those talks with yourself, your foundation, and your, the people around you." Which, you know, I don't disagree with, and I know that this is this is something that always. Um, comes up when we see older fighters getting back into the uh, cage. And what is going on is that people immediately begin to question like whether or not whether or not these guys should still be getting in. And you see it with Vitor, you see it with BJ, you see it when there was conversations about Chuck Liddell signing back with the UFC to, uh, excuse me, signing back with Bellator to get back into the cage. Matt Hughes was having talks about getting back into the cage. Ken Shamrock still getting in there. You just, the, the list goes on and on that when these guys retire, they don't they don't retire and stay away. And that's always hard to kind of have that conversation with guys. It's always hard to tell them that they should um, they should walk away from the sport. Still, um, Overeem's comments kind of rang true, and it. Speaks to something that speaks to that bigger conversation about when is it time for guys to walk away from the game of MMA. So, I, Fedor has not responded. I haven't seen any responses from Fedor at this time, but I think that I think that it, it is something worth bringing up because I don't. I, 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 it's something worth bringing up because. It's a situation where it could only get worse over time, and no one wants to see Fedor or any other fighter, regardless of if you're a legend or not, continuously getting battered for the um, for the for the duration and getting yourself hurt throughout your um, career. So you definitely don't want to um, see that in any shape or form. So let's go on. Let's talk about some of the other things that went down this week. So there was some other action as well, other interesting news bits. Probably one of my favorites from this week because it's it's this is a rare, rare situation. This is a very rare situation here where we have Dana White up 
apologizing in a sense um, and apologizing to a person who deserves the apologies probably more than anybody else in recent memory with Chris Cyborg. So everyone is very aware of um, Everyone's very aware of the the strained relationship between Cyborg and the UFC. And I'm not going to sit here and say that everything is on the UFC side. That's not it. Or all the misgivings. That's not the, that's not the case. What I'm going to say, though, is... Um, what I'm going to say, though, is that it really goes on both sides um, she's had her issues but the UFC has definitely had their mistreatments of her like let's kind of run down some of the things that have been done so first and foremost you know there was the press conference from I think this was three years ago where Dana White called her Wanderlei Silva in a dress, which was completely disparaging. I mean, it's sexist. It's borderline um, disgusting. It, it, was, it was just, you know, uncalled for. Then Joe Rogan, who is a UFC employee, UFC commentator, talking about um, Cyborg saying that she has male genitals. He also apologized for that. Then the UFC allowed Ronda Rousey to talk about cyborg in the phrase of an it instead of she um and it was it's just it's this is a running track record you know they don't this is not something you should stand for regardless of if it's someone who's easy to get along with or not yet the ufc just kind of stood by it and allowed it to go down so on this week on the mma junkie i think um White was talking, it was last week, excuse me, last week Dana White was talking to MMA Junkie and he basically fessed up for it. You know, he said, um, this is his quote, we signed Cyborg, we made a commitment to Cyborg, not everything is easy, not everything is as fun as other divisions or whatever, but we made a commitment to this woman and she's had a rough go here in the UFC. She hasn't been thrilled with things that have been said, things that have been done, and to be honest with you, We've made some mistakes. So we've made some mistakes when it comes to cyborg. The least we could do is get our shit together and get this woman to fight for the title. So they have booked cyborg to fight Tanya Evinger at UFC 214 for the women's featherweight title after Jermaine Deronimi has drawn a line in the sand and said that she's not fighting cyborg because she's a cheater, which isn't the full story, and after some back and forth, they've stripped GDR of, of the title and then they booked Cyborg against Megan Anderson. Unfortunately, Anderson has travel issues that kept her or forced her out of the fight. So now, so now you have um, Avenger who is Invicta's bantamweight champion basically using this opportunity to get into the UFC because she couldn't get an opportunity to get into the UFC either to make the jump and go up to 145 to fight Cyborg for the featherweight uh, title. Not the greatest situation. Evanger is an interesting fighter, though. She's someone I've been wanting to see in the UFC for a long time, just not under these types of constraints. Still, um, this, this is about the way the UFC has treated Cyborg, and I think it speaks to a lot. It speaks to a lot, especially when you look at Felice Herrick's comments from last week after she fought on Sunday. When you look at Amanda Nunez, what she said this week in leading up to UFC 213, and that the UFC has an issue, and I use issue in air quotes, that maybe they don't promote all of their fighters the right way. And maybe like the situation is if you don't fit a certain mold that she gets he or she doesn't get promoted the same way um 
that just doesn't get promoted the same way that would benefit them and the organization. So, it was interesting to see Dana White actually apologize. Um, and man, there's so there's so much there's so much to kind of break out from this. Even like you know when um, Dana when Usada contacted Cyborg about the failed drug test, Dana White's response was. Are you surprised, or something along those lines? Come to find out, he had to eat his words because Usada basically exonerated her by giving her a retroactive TUE, which kind of which clears the whole thing up. So, I'm I'm glad that the UFC finally took the steps to I don't want to say beat a bigger man, but they've taken the steps to acknowledge that they've made some mistakes with how they've treated this woman. Um, I don't think I think that. They need to really take a long look at how they do treat some fighters as opposed to others. You, more and more athletes, especially the women, are getting more and more vocal about the lack of opportunities that come their way if they don't look a certain way. I mean, you Felice's, Felice's comments, you have to hear and kind of, I don't want to say raise an eyebrow to because of what she's done in the past when it comes to self-promotion, but to hear her say that, you know, she is not young and beautiful enough to get promoted. It causes pause. And then at the same time, you have Amanda Nunez talking about the way the UFC is pushing Valentina Shevchenko, another blonde woman. I don't know. I was going to say blonde, blue, blonde hair, blue eyes, but I don't know if her eyes are blue. But she fits that Paige Van Zandt, Ronda Rousey. Mode. Even Michelle Waterson, you know, she doesn't. She, she is a beautiful woman, mother who, you know, she's the, the karate hottie. So the UFC definitely hitched their wagon to her very quickly. But the UFC, especially with the women, again, I always say, especially with the women, they are more prone to promoting athletes that look a certain way rather than those who physical characteristics look something else. Even Tanya Evinger has said this. Let me see if I can find her quote, but Tanya has said something about not getting in, into the UFC. That kind of fit along those lines. Let's see, so back in let's see, this past March, Let's see if I can find this quote really quickly. It's pretty interesting. So here, here goes. So this was Evanger talking in an interview with Mark Riamondi on MMA fighting back in March of this year. And she talks about the UFC not contacting her and not getting her a potential contract. She says, that's just a prerequisite. Did Tanya Evinger beat you? You're signed. This is her joking. She also says, it's not that I don't want to fight for the UFC. I just don't want to fight for somebody that doesn't want me to fight for them. That should be anybody's outlook on anything in life. Why should I try for something when they don't even want me here? Obviously, I'm still going to do the best I can, but I'm not going to beg to do something. I just hate watching myself get overlooked. It was the same way in wrestling, and it's the same way in every sport. I don't fit the mold that people like right away. I think when they get to know me, they like me, and they understand my sense of humor and who I am. That's when I become friends with people. But a lot of people at first think I'm an asshole. I rub off on people the wrong way, I guess. I think they're more of an entitlement. Excuse me. I think they're more of an entertainment company now anyway. But geez, man, I think I'm pretty entertaining. I think they're missing the boat. I don't know what they're scared of. So this was Avenger back in March of this year. And she also says, here, 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 
all these hype trains that everybody is putting behind all these kids that have the look, that have the attitude, but they don't know how to fight. That's the problem. You can only powder their record so long, and eventually they're going to have to fight a good fighter. So, Avenger, I mean, Avengers comments, all these comments kind of fall within the same boat that the UFC is, that, they, that they're pushing fighters of certain elk based on who they look or what they look like. And I'm not saying, I, I, I'm just saying I get that. But in some regards, um, it's still, it's, it's, man, it's becoming more and more apparent and athletes are becoming more and more outspoken about it. So I understand their struggles and I understand their anger toward the uh, situation. I definitely get it. And yeah, to see Dana White apologize for the treatment of Ronda Rousey over, or excuse me, the treatment of Chris Cyborg over the last few years, caught me off guard. Definitely caught me off guard and was something that stood out to me when looking at um, also this week, there's a fight announced where we have Paul Daly fighting MVP in Bellator. It was pitched to be sometime in 2018 that this fight was going to go down. There's also the um, the angle that MVP will be boxing in the in the meantime, which is you know it's something. I'm not, I'm not even going to really kind of touch on that, but MVP basically is, he's been pushing for these opportunities, and Bellator President Scott Coker basically said that they're going to give him the plans. You know, Daly last appeared um, a couple months back where he lost to, basically straight out, he lost to um, Roy McDonald, and um, Daly's one of those guys who is a real litmus test for anyone looking to break through to the second stage of MMA action. Or, or excuse me, the second stage of the Bellator welterweight division. And this fight interests me um, because I was kind of expecting it to come. These two guys have been taking shots at each other for an extended period of time. And I'm not too surprised that it's finally going to go down. Um, I think this is a fight for MVP to win because he's much more of a dynamic striker. Daly is a violent, heavy, heavy hitter. But, I mean, he he and he definitely has the technique to land in almost any shot that he wants. I love his uppercuts, by the way. Um, him and Anthony Johnson probably have the best uppercuts in mixed martial arts, but me, me and Shawan can argue about that another day. But what... Um, what is most telling, like, there's a lot of things I'm thinking about. Just sitting here right now thinking about this potential fight, just a lot of things are kind of lining up for me. Um, and I'm thinking about it because first we have MVP, who I think is on the cusp of becoming a contender for Bellator. Um, let me, out of, you know, curiosity, let me look at what he's done in the promotion since he's been there. I'm not too familiar with his whole record. But he's 30 years old, 12 and 0, and he's won, let's see, let me fights in a row for Bellator. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight fights for Bellator, but he hasn't really defeated anybody of a big name. Like, Nashawn Burrell is probably the biggest name he's fought out of this group, and that's just because Burrell's the only one. Or, uh, excuse me, Cyborg Santos as well. They're probably the two biggest names that he's fought to this point in his career, just because these are those are guys who's really kind of stepped out and, and made it, I guess, to the big, bigger stage. But let me see something. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Yeah, 
so here we are now, and we have a page versus daily fight. I'm going to let Shawan do the actual breakdown of this fight. I'm just thinking of it from a promotional standpoint. I think it's time for MVP to kind of start getting that push that will make him into a star. The fan reaction to him is still kind of interesting because you have those guys who like his antics, and then you have those who hate his antics as well. Like the rolling of the Pokeball, the, the dancing and all that stuff that, that he he does, people get pissed off at that. People were pretty mad with how he picked on uh, Ronda Rousey after she got knocked out as well, too. So he's becoming one of those icons that's like one of those characters that people either love or they love to hate. So he's someone that the organization can definitely build their brand around. Um, at the same time, they are struggling to have homegrown stars. They have Michael Chandler there. They um, they not have Douglas Lima to a, to a, an extent. They have who else? Uh, Kreshkov is I'll consider him a homegrown star. They're doing they're developing their women's divisions. So Paul Daly can definitely be someone. That's not Paul Daly, but Michael Page can be someone that can be added to that list. So I am looking forward to this fight. 2018. I mean, it's a little far away, but still. At least it's going to go down. At least it's, it's going to go down. And um, the other side of this story is that you have MVP doing boxing, and the opportunity was provided to him to either do kickboxing or boxing, and he selected boxing according to Coker. So he wants to get some boxing in like that. I feel, you know, I think it's, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's a bad idea for these guys to look and wanting, want to start to diversify themselves. I'm not going to argue that point. I think it, I think it's a good idea for these men and women to begin to um, do more than just commit themselves to a promotion that's not necessarily committed to them. But, I wonder. I wonder what the end game is really going to be. Um, you didn't see a lot of success with this with guys doing kickboxing in MMA, but at the same time, I think boxing has a much broader audience than kickboxing does. So there is more opportunity there. Obviously, you know everyone's paying attention to Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, which you know is going to be a shit, a, a rolling shitstorm until August 26th gets here. Um, and you're going to see more guys wanting to take that leap. So I'm not too mad at them for it. Uh, I'm interested in seeing the way it goes and kind of what, what happens from there. But this is a fight that I am looking forward to seeing when it does occur. I hope it occurs sooner than 2018, but um, if not, I hope Billy stays active because he's one of the guys I enjoy. I enjoy watching fight because, man, he puts people on stretchers and he does it in such violent fashion that I, I love seeing him um, getting out there. Let's see, the last news story I wanted to talk about was Jeff Horn defeating Manny Pacquiao in one of the, I want to say this, what, ooh, I want to say this victory was probably more questionable than the Timothy Bradley loss that Pacquiao took a few years back. And I, I, that was my first time even um, thinking of that comparison, but everyone remembers the the Timothy Bradley situation from what was that 2014, I believe, where everyone watching the fight believed that Pacquiao did enough to win, but the judges leaned towards um, leaned towards Bradley instead in what was a very controversial decision. Same thing could be said here. Um, man, I didn't even. I'm, I'm surprised I, that that.
and I'm kind of surprised that 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 what's the word that comparison just kind of sprung on me because that was a bad decision then and this is a bad decision here most people had it for Pacquiao um, the judge the official let me see the official judges cards I think were 117 111 and then two 115 113s Let me see. Um, hold on one second, because I don't want to turn off the background noise. There we go. So, yeah, 117, 111, and 115, 113. And this is, man, this is crazy. Um, Pacquiao had Horn hurt multiple times. He couldn't finish him. It looks like he kind of took his foot off the gas towards the end. Um, some people say that Pacquiao was kind of slowing down because he was tired. You know, I don't know if that was the case, but he did a lot to kind of batter Horn throughout the fight. So I want to go back and rewatch this. Um, I mean, so much so that WBO had to tweet out about it and say that this is their quote from, their, from the WBO um, Twitter account. The discretion of a referee or judge cannot be reversed, except in the, a case of fraud or violation of laws, which is not the case in Pack versus Horn. So we got to look, and there's, he's supposed to be um, taking his rematch clause and using that to fight him again at some point in this year. Um, ESPN commentators kind of went in on, especially Stephen A. Smith calling it a robbery. They just kind of just went down down that rabbit hole. I mean, even if you look at the copy box numbers, Pacquiao landed nearly twice as many shots, was more accurate than Horn throughout the fight. So this is, man, this, these things happen in combat sports. Judging is a shit, is a shit show where you have men and women who may not know what the hell they're watching, trying to decide who won or trying to decide who um, got the victory. So it's very, it's very questionable at best. And when you look at situations like this, you got to kind of, you got to kind of just let it roll off your back because it's going to happen. It's going to happen in MMA. It's going to happen in boxing. It's going to happen in kickboxing. It's going to happen across the board. It even happens in wrestling. There was a um, controversy surrounding Kyle Dake and um, what's his name? Jordan Burroughs from the team trials last month. So this is going to happen. It's going to happen time and time again. And people are going to be pissed about it. So it is what it is. And, you know, it's kind of just one of those things that we got to accept in the in the um, sports world. So I'm not too I'm, I'm not upset about it as everyone else is. I'm not as pissed off. But, man, I'm not really surprised that this was just a very bad decision that I will probably go back and watch at some point just to kind of get a better grasp of what the judges saw. So with that in mind, we're going to turn towards talking about the two big events we have this weekend. We have two really big, I don't say really big, we have one really big um, event in UFC 213, and then we have um, one not so big event from a name standpoint. Um, maybe not from a stamp, a name standpoint, but from a, um, from an interest standpoint. So let me pull up, I got to pull up the, the fight card though, cause I kind of, I just lost it. So let's see, let's see, let's see. We have tonight, we have UFC, The Ultimate Fighter, season 25 finale. That show's still going on, but that's another conversation for another day. Where Justin Gaethje is coming over from, it's coming over from World Series of Fighting, where he was a dominant champion, um, definitely a hell of a fighter, and he's facing off against Michael Johnson. That's what that fight stands out to me. I want to see Mark Casey. I want to see what he does. I'm also interested in this Elias Theodoro Brad Tavares fight. That's what I'll be talking about. Angela Hill as well. 
um, and just in this, and I'm gonna talk more about some of the fights that stand out to me as well. But this is a pretty solid card. It has a couple of fights that are worth talking about, worth really paying attention to. And it has some other fights that may not seem to be the greatest, but you know they, they still do. It, it is what it is. So we have Michael Johnson and Just Justin Gaethje fighting in the main event, and I think this is if I am what's his name Marlon Morales's camp. I'm looking at this fight because I think this is a better matchup for Justin's UFC welcome or, or UFC introduction. This is a much better fight than Morales fighting Rafael Sansao in Brazil for their for his first fight. I think he was at a highly a high disadvantage there in comparison to this bout here. You know, you have Justin who's 17 and 0. Man, this guy is an oop like he is a violent, violent, violent fighter. Um he I mean, the man just gets the job done. Let's see. If you look at, let's see, let's see, let's see. He joined World Series of Fighting in 2013. And in 2013, one, he won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now he won 10 fights. Nine of them ended by some form of TKO. Nine of them. The only one that went the distance was his split decision win over Melvin Gillard. And Melvin was a, that's a fading Melvin Gillard. So that kind of that I think that that raises some interest in how well he's going to do in, in the UFC. But man, he just this guy goes out there to beat the brakes off of people. Like if I ever got into a a, a barroom brawl somewhere, Justin might be one of the guys I want to have with me because you know he's going to go out there and he's going to go slaying slaying them hands. And I think that this fight against Michael Johnson is going to be just like that. I don't think it's going to be technical at all. I don't think it's going to be anything that um, anything that is very uh, what's the word? Anything that's going to be very slow paced. I think these guys are going to come out there and they're going to start fast and they're just going to start slinging at at, at each other. I if that occurs, I definitely put the um, advantage into Justin's wheelhouse. I think he's more technical than Michael Johnson, who tends to throw very looping punches. But I'm also worried. I am kind of slightly worried about the amount of damage Justin has taken up to this point in his career. He's 28 years old, and he and is while he's had a lot of big, violent victories, it doesn't mean he hasn't been touched as well. So we're going to kind of see what his body has left in this fight here. I think it's I think it's gonna be a stoppage um win for whoever does kind of come out on top. I don't think this fight is gonna go five rounds. I'm leaning towards Justin to get the victory. But um I wonder what he looks like in this fight and what he kinda how he hangs on from start to finish. The UFC welterweight uh, excuse me the UFC lightweight division is a bona fide shark tank. There are Killers among killers among killers in this weight class, and Michael Johnson is just like the is just the tip of the iceberg, in a sense. He's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you have to wonder how what Justin looks like in this fight and what's next for him because you can't go from a Justin uh, from a Michael Johnson and then go right to a Tony Ferguson. Um, that would be scary, right to Eddie Alvarez, right to Nate Diaz, could you, or or anybody, Edson Barbosa, Paul Felder. Like there are guys in this division who wreck people, and I want to see how Justin deals with that long term. Um, because yeah, I think that I think this is the right fight to introduce him to the organization. I definitely do, um, but. I don't know. I, I I don't know what his long-term viability is within the um within the within the company. I just don't know because he, he I don't know how well he's gonna fare when he dives into the um deep end. But we're gonna get a uh, we're gonna get a preview this week when he steps in there to face Michael Johnson. Um, also, what else stands out from this card? You got Jesse Taylor and Diego Lima. That's from the Ultimate Fighter 20 season 25. I'm I don't be honest, I don't really care to talk too much about that. 
uh, Mark D. Casey. He's actually someone that's pretty interesting to me um, because he is a surging light. Uh, he's another surging lightweight, but he had some comments this week that stand out to me that show that I respect because it shows that he's treating himself as a um, as a he's treating himself as a professional athlete. He's not bullshitting for lack of a better term. Let me find a quote here. Um, let me find a quote. Um, let me find a quote. Let me find. Here we go. This came out yesterday. I didn't, so interesting. Valentina Shevchenko's sister is doing MMA as well, too. And she's another model. Anyway, I'm gonna come back to that in a second. So Mark D. Casey, this is he was offered a fight against Paul Felder, and what he said was very interesting. I'm gonna read all of his quotes from this piece by Peter Carroll on MMA fighting, where he says, "I find it funny when I see some guys that are calling me out. I'm only coming up, and there are some established names looking to fight me. If I started training when I was 10, I would be on a different level now. I only started training when I was 17, so I think I've still got a lot to learn. I feel like I'm getting better every time." They don't realize that I'm trying to show a different side of my game every time I fight. I feel like I've done that every time I fall in UFC. The way I see it, if all these guys are calling me out, I must be doing something right. They were talking about me fighting Paul Felder in Glasgow. This is a guy who has fought Edson Barbosa. He's got experience fighting some big names. I looked at my contract, and I just didn't think the money was there for a fight like that. I knew that we would be one of the most talked about fights on the Glasgow card if it was booked. It just didn't make sense for the money I was on. A lot of fighters complain about money. You see guys like Stevie Ray, he's fought he's fought in a lot of big fights and it gets a lot of big names. We've seen him on Twitter talking about how he should get more money and he probably should get it. By the time I get to top guys in the division, I want to be comfortable. I want to be able to just I want, to, I want to be able to just fight two times a year so I can take the time to prepare for each opponent. The fighters at the top of the bracket have a lot more experience and they deserve a lot more attention. Um, what else did he say? People can say what they want about me, but I think I'm being smart. Of course, we're fighters. We'll fight anybody. But I think it's important to know that there comes a time when you should be, be talking, be taking the bigger fights. You don't always have to be in a rush. That I, this is, man, I really, I, he talks about the new contract that he just signed and now he wants to build to the fighting the bigger names when the bigger money is there too as well. This is exactly what more fighters should understand and respect because in, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your job is to be a prize fighter. Your job is to go out there and fight for the biggest prize. His, like your job is to get out there and fight for the most amount of money possible. People can talk about championships, they can talk about records. You know, those are, those are, it is what it is when it comes to those two areas of the game. But prize fighting is fighting for a financial prize. Chelsea Sonnen gets this. Conor McGregor gets this. Floyd Mayweather gets this. Um, that's why these guys are out there doing the damn thing and they're raking in money hand over foot every time that they compete. Mark is young in the game. He is, how old is this guy? He is 24 years old. And, you know, he has 3-0 in the UFC. His toughest fight was against Frankie Perez. 
Um, and you have to wonder, like, I listen to these comments and I'm like, this guy gets it. He understands that he needs to build his resume before taking on these dangerous fights. And Paul Felder is a dangerous fight. At every in every shape and form, Paul Felder is a dangerous, dangerous fight. You do not want to be underprepared facing a guy who has gone to war with some of the best men in the uh, division. Paul Felder is one of those guys who's on the cusp of being a contender for the, the champion on a moment's notice. On a moment's notice. So I definitely appreciate what uh Dia Casey said, and I'm looking for, he's fighting Jakar Close, who's also someone who's undefeated. Um, let me see what this guy's done in the UFC so far. I think it's his debut, actually. No, it's his second fight in the UFC fought in January, um, where he defeated Devin Powell. Um, and there was also a video of them getting into an altercation yesterday after the weigh-ins. You know, it is what it is. But I think that this is, a, um, this is an interesting fight that's kind of caught my eye, and I'm looking forward to seeing what goes down there. Also, there's the last Theodore Brad Tavares fight. Man, Brad Tavares is one of those guys that everybody just kind of forgot about. You know, he was surging for a while. He was um, someone who was building his stock in the middleweight division, and then it just all fell apart. He lost to UL Romero, lost to Tim Bosch. I mean, this guy has a win over Lorenz Larkin when Larkin was kind of doing his, his thing. So he lost to Romero, lost to Bosch, then he lost to Robert Whitaker. And even though he's coming off of a split decision win um, in his last appearance, you know, he's not this, that same guy that a lot of people thought he was going to be. I mean, he's 14 and four, but that record doesn't really speak to his placement in the division. So I'm looking forward to this fight and seeing what he looks looks like. Same thing with um, Elias Theodoro. Elias is one of those guys who has the making to be, he had that look. You know, I talked about earlier, you know, the UFC definitely has a, a look that they want to that they want to shape guys in when they um promote him forward. You know, he's four, th- 13 and one, four and one, and five and one in the UFC. Excuse me. So I think that this is a fight where people are going to have a lot of eyes on him because they want to see what's next. And the, both of these guys, I'm interested in seeing what they look like in these fights because I want to see what's next for these guys. I want to see where their growth is, where's their ceiling right now. The I feel like the verdict is still kind of out on both of these guys. It's more so out on Elias than it is for Brad. But this is a fight that kind of caught my eye when it was originally booked. Let me see. Angela Hill. You know, I love Angela Hill. I think she, um, being, man, she's one of the few black women on the UFC's roster. But I love that she continues to get in there. She continues to try to improve herself every time. And she takes the tough fights without any hesitation. Time and time again, she takes the tough fights, and she does it over and over again. Um, she's facing Ashley Yoder. I think Ashley Yoder's undefeated. No, she's 5-2, and two, excuse me. So I'm hoping that this is a fight, a, not a showcase fight. I don't want to use that term. But I, I'm hoping that this is a type of fight where she can kind of, where she can stand out, stand out and, and do her thing because she's um, definitely someone who I love seeing her compete. And I, I'm thinking that this is a good opportunity for her. So I'm looking forward to seeing her fight Ashley Yoder as well. Then we um, another fight that I'm very interested in. I mean, Gray Maynard's fighting. I completely forgot about that. Gray Maynard is getting back out there. Um, he's another guy. You know, you got to wonder what he has left, how much is um, is in his gas tank at 37 years old. He's coming off of that ridiculous fight against Ray, Ryan Hall from last December. I mean, he's won one fight in his last five and two in his last seven. So that tells you a lot there, tells you a lot. But he's stepping back into the cage. Tisha Torres is also coming back to face Juliana Lima on short notice. And this, see this fight is listed as the opener for the event. I'm not sure if it really is the opener, but um, that's another fight that I'm interested in as well, because Tisha Torres is one of those women who you forget about in the strawweight division, but she's right there as well. I mean, eight and one, right there. She has wins over Angela Hill, Magana, Felice Herrick. She's beaten Rose. You know, she's gone one and one against Rose. She's defeated Paige Van Zant. She has a good resume on her on her back right now, and I think that she I think she's ranked in the top five. 
so she comes out there and she stomps Juliana Lima, who's someone who a lot of people had a lot of stock in. I think that she continues to put her name on the short list of, hey, you know, don't forget about me. Don't forget that I'm someone out here in this women's strawweight division that's ready to make some noise. So I, I want to see her do well um, tonight as well. Like it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from there. These are these these are this is a pretty good card. Um, it doesn't have doesn't have that huge title fight that everybody kind of really wants, but it definitely has a grudge match sitting in 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 the main event slot. So it's something that I think is worth watching, and I look forward to seeing it tonight. I want to move on to UFC 213, which is Saturday's card. Um, and this is a very good card as well. Um, obviously, you know, we have Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. Oh, man, where do I start with this? Um, UFC may be missing the boat when it comes to Nunez. She's... She's definitely putting herself, like, she's a champion, period. I mean, she has wins over Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. No one else can claim that. She has the story behind her where she's come from nothing. The UFC's first gay, cha um, gay champion. And the organization continues to talk. I don't want to say, they, not that they don't talk about her, but they tend to focus more on her opponents than they do Rousey, or excuse me, than they do Nunez. And see, I just did it there. Um, they really do. I mean, obviously, you look back to the fight against Ronda Rousey where there was no promotion about Nunez, very little. And you look at this one, and Shevchenko's getting her fair time in the um, spotlight. And I'm saying not saying that it's wrong to look at the contender, but you got to wonder just how much are they missing out talking about Amanda Nunez's story here. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you know, they fought before. Nunez has a win over Shevchenko. A lot of people are like, well, that was only three rounds. What is Nunez going to look like in five? I totally agree with you. That's the storyline heading into this fight, and that's something I want to see. But I don't think that we should completely – I just think that there's a layer to the story that is being missed by not properly talking about Nunez and what she means to the organization, what she means to women fighting in the sport. She's a tra she's a trailblazer, in my opinion, and I think that she kind of deserves more respect that she's getting. Right now, I think I even saw something this morning about her being the underdog heading into this fight. Let me look that up and see if that's still true. But um, man, like it, I think a lot of that. I wouldn't be surprised if she, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I wouldn't be surprised if she did lose this fight. Because, you know, because of the gas tank issues, because of the other problems that she's had in her career. I'm not going to sit here and say that. I think that she's a world beater. But um, let me see. Fight odds. Let me see what the odds are for her. Yeah, it's even right now, man. The odds are, are even, and that says a lot about this fight here. Um, a lot about this fight. So... I really think the UFC is potentially missing the boat on how they speak about Nunez and they need to be careful because she's someone that I don't want them to, I don't want them to miss the boat on her. I don't want them to overlook her and what she means to the sport and make a big mistake with not covering her correctly. So I think that this, this is a big moment for her. She needs this win and she needs to look dominant in this win. She can't look shaky at any point in time because people, her critics are waiting for her. Um, they're coming for her. She's her English is getting better. Um, she, I can. It seems to be in a sense that maybe she's a little shy when speaking to the media, but she's coming out of a shell. She's joking more. She's smiling and laughing more, um, and she seems to be more open in answering questions. 
And I think the language barrier is a, is a part of that. But um, she's her, like I said, her English is, is getting much better. I think that this is an opportunity for the for the UFC if she does pull out a win to, for them to build another champion that fans should get behind because she's a positive she's a positive character. And I think that I I don't again as I said I don't want the UFC to really miss the boat on her. We have another. We have an interim title fight when we have Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker getting things on in the cage. And this is a fight that's really interesting to me because on one side you have Whitaker who has the speed and technique, and you have Yoel Romero who has the athleticism. He also has technique when it comes to wrestling. He has patience too, which is something that a lot of fighters don't – I want to say people don't um, break down a lot, but he has a lot of patience, which is very important for the fight game but man Whitaker is I think Whitaker is the is the face that you want to win because he um he's definitely more promotable he um man the name Bobby Knuckles is absolutely amazing to begin with that's probably that's my favorite nickname in professional sports right now and he goes out there and he and he's looked great since making the um the move to 185 I mean he's won seven in a row. Stopping Jacare was huge. Um, so I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this fight here because he's facing Romero, who is a crazy... No one wants Yoel Romero in, in the cage. Michael Bisbee knows for a fact. He's like, I want no part of this. I don't. Um, and I think and to see Yoel kind of have grown to become the champ the challenger the contender that he is has been has been interesting to watch you know he's 40 years old so people immediately jump on the steroids bandwagon and they can say whatever they want you know it is what it is but this guy is a freak of nature look back to his time when he was um competing in, in, in wrestling look at his training videos man i was watching a video of him this past week where he's hitting fireman carries on guys one after the other like it's like he was throwing pillows. He was tossing grown men like he was tossing pillows onto the bed, one after the other. No hesitation, no slipping technique, no resetting, nothing. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And stuff like that, you cannot, steroids does not do. I don't care what you say. Stuff like that, steroids does not create. And this man has never failed a drug test. He's been in strenuous drug testing for more for majority of his career on on the level of olympic competitors because that's what he's done so to just assume oh he's 40 years old and he's ripped you can't point the finger at you can't just point the finger at steroids that's that's laziness that's less laziness look more into what this man has done look more into his training regimen and you'll see a guy who was an athlete a guy who works harder than us who works harder than the normal people who a guy who goes out there and just um puts in the work and his body is is proof of that his ability is a proof of that and this is a fight where you have two guys um who are gonna go i am not i'm not I'm interested in seeing what this fight looks like over, over five rounds. I don't think Yoel has not fought five rounds. I'm looking at his record right now. Everything's been in three. I don't think Whitaker has as well, though. No, Whitaker has not gone five rounds either. So it'll be interesting to see what both these guys look like in the championship rounds. But um, this is not a fight to be missed in any way, shape, or form. For weekend, we're doing Alistair Overeem. I talked about it briefly when I was talking about um, Alistair's comments earlier today, but this is the third time him and we're doing our fighting. They both have a win over each other. Their last fight was very, like, blah. It was pretty piss, piss poor. And I'm expecting this fight to look a lot different. Um, we're doing more aggressive in his striking, but he still has that world-class jujitsu that can submit anyone at a moment's notice. And Overeem is Overeem. He's going to go out there and he's going to do his thing. He's fighting much more smarter now, much more patient, picking his shots. And I think that that's going to be something worth watching. How, how patient is he against an aggressive if he can land a big shot? Um, I'm wondering what we're doing <clears throat> if he tapers his aggression, um, if he tapers it in a way that he'll look better um, than he has in the past. Um, but I, 
this is this is a, this is an interesting fight that I'm also looking forward to. And you know, I'm not the biggest fan of heavyweight MMA. Everyone knows that, but I am looking forward to this fight here. The fight that I want to see the most though this weekend: Anthony Pettis and Jim Miller. Anytime Jim Miller steps into the cage, he is not going to make it an easy out. This dude, win, lose, or draw, this dude goes out there. He goes out on his shield. Um, Anthony Pettis has been struggling as of late. Miller is not the guy you want to go in there for. Yes, even though you know he hasn't looked great in his last few fights. I mean, he's he's won three of his last four, so there is that. Um, but man, he's going to go out there. And he's going to put the pressure on you in any way, shape, or form. And I just think that this is going to be a fun, fun fight from start to finish. It's going to be action packed. And Miller's been in the UFC for 10 years now, almost 10 years now, maybe 10 years in 2018, so just about there, but he's he's a guy that you don't, that you don't want to miss out on, so I think that this is going to be a very fast-paced, interesting fight, Pettis is coming back up to lightweight, he um, lost Max Holloway, he's won one of his last five, so he's definitely been struggling, man. Dos Anjos, Eddie Alvarez, Edson Barbosa, Max Holloway beat him, and he defeated Charles Oliveira. So, it's, this is going to be this is an important fight for him. Um, you gotta wonder what this guy is going through at this point in his career. So, there's definitely that. But I'm looking forward to this fight because you know it's going to be it's going to be a barn burner in every sense of this is going to be a transition bar barn burner. Excuse me, having a hard time talking. Here. Because both these guys are going to go, they're going to be aggressive, um, and I'm expecting it to be fun. It'll be a very, very, very good fight. So that's something I'm looking forward to this um, this weekend as well. The other fight that's kind of dead. I, I mean, I think the undercard on the Friday night fight may be a little bit stronger. There's still some value in UFC 213. UFC 214 is the one that everybody's looking forward to, though. That is uh, not next weekend. That is it's the 25th, I believe. UFC 214 is the 29th, excuse me. And that's, and that's the fight where everyone is definitely getting um, excited for. So with that in mind, um, you know, I am working on... I did a lot done content-wise this week, but I'll be looking at these fights and probably doing some pieces, um, some breakdown pieces afterwards after the um, events are over over the weekend. I always know we'll be back for another edition of the show this Thursday, this coming Thursday. Shawan will be back and we'll be back to our regular time. So feel free to join us there. If you like this content, like and share this content across all of your social media channels and give us some support. As always, we appreciate everyone who listens to our show. And um, thank you guys for listening to another edition of the Ingrid podcast. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud and YouTube here and, and every other outlet as well. We appreciate your time, and thank you guys, and have a great weekend, and enjoy the fights.